This is Conquering Columbus. Welcome, everybody, to the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here. And if you're new to the show, I'll give you the quick rundown. On this podcast, we interview people from around Columbus doing incredible things, whether that's building a business, saving lives, or just plain conquering their respective fields. Today on the show, we're talking with a friend of ours, Ed Porter, and Ed has been on the show previously. So we do some catching up with Ed to find out what's changed. And early on, we talk about how the alignment of sales and marketing has become a hot topic over the past 10 years and how that's built into Ed's new business, Blue Chip CRO. I think there's a couple things that go on. You mentioned one of sales and marketing, and I think we go back 10 years, we started hearing about the alignment of sales and marketing. What does that mean? And then you start getting in account-based sales, account-based marketing, account-based whatever started to come up. The missing component that I found almost every time I go into a client engagement is the siloing of customer success. When I go into a client, it winds up being, who's your target audience? How are you selling to them? Who's your buyer? And do you have that really locked and loaded? Later on, we talk about the three things you need to know to start to align marketing, sales, and customer success if you're running your business. Who your customer is, why do they buy from you, and why do they keep buying from you? Without those two things, how the heck can you produce any kind of relevant marketing messaging or even sales if you don't really have that proof in the pudding. So mm-hmm. that's usually the starting point is, but let's look at who you're serving today and let's figure, can we go find customers like that? Go find the customers that you can get as quickly as possible that are the most consistent with who you're serving today because you got good stories to tell. Often it's, you're trying to go in that total addressable market to say, well, our product can go everywhere. We can be sold to any human being on the planet. Well, that's wonderful, but where are you going to start? We wrap up with Ed's views on our classic question and the importance of honesty and even how honesty can make you uncomfortable. I think there's a little bit of the honesty and that honesty kind of forces you to maybe be somebody that you are afraid to be. Being honest and authentic and try to avoid those little white lies, even though we all do it. Oh, I'm running 20 minutes late. There was traffic. There was no traffic. You overslept. Those little things really go a long way when you start thinking about how do you run your life and how do you become a better person? All right, everybody. That's it from me. Hope you enjoyed this interview with Ed. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. This is a special Sunday edition coming at you. We're actually recording on Sunday. You guys don't know because it always releases on the same day anyways, but we typically record during the week. We're running a special Sunday episode and you got me and Josh in the booth. Josh, what's going on? How much, dude? Sunday episode. I woke up. I mowed my grass. I got a weed whacker. My second attempt at getting a weed whacker. My first one got stolen off my porch last week. And uh, that sounds like your fault. For leaving it on the porch. Well, no, it's the Amazon person's fault. And it's, oh. the, it's the thief who got out of the van and uh, ran up and snatched my freaking weed whacker. Got it. Oh, that and then, sucks. Uh, yeah, but Amazon was cool about it. I just said, I forget what button I clicked, but they're like, okay, free one coming your way. I'm like, dude, you guys make way too much money. I mean, it wasn't it's not <laughs> a cheap weed whacker. It's, yeah. What kind did you get? This electric. Is it like, the works? Yeah. Called the work, that's what I have. It's I've nice, had that dude. forever. They I got to get you, a new one because mine, oh, it, the, the, the what spool? do you call it? The spool, the spool. goes too far out. And then it breaks off and it hits me in the shin. Yeah. The first time I took it out there, I was like bleeding from I my shin. never because with the just, regular ones. Oh. I could never get it right because you're supposed to like hit the ground and it's supposed uh-huh. to make the spools come out. I could never get it because that's yeah. the easiest way to do it. So this one has a completely different spool, whatever it's made out of. And it's the best. Did you get the one where like the wheels come out and you can turn it around and right on the sidewalk? Uh, Yeah, where you can trim it right up on yeah, the edges. That, yeah, I haven't gotten that sophisticated. That's the lazy that's, man's That's like the Michelangelo of... The string is strong. So I got up to some pretty big stuff and I think I almost chopped off a couple wires out by the road and stuff too. Uh, I'm like, this thing is playing no games. <laughs> and I knew it because my lawnmower is 40 volts. I have electric lawnmower too. I have a small yard, so I just got an electric one. And this weed whacker is 40 volts. And I'm like, 
If this is the same power as the thing yeah. I've been cutting the lawn with, be careful. This yep. is going to be good. So, so I was, was pretty jacked up about that. I was actually, you know, since people have been hearing him talk, I was going to introduce our guest. Uh, <laughs> well, I do know. have one more crazy okay, thing, okay, though, okay, because okay. maybe Ed will chime in on this. This is the second night in a row our camera has caught someone at three in the morning trying to get into our house. The alarm went off and they ran away. But last night, this dude had a power tool and he was getting close to our garage and then the alarm went off and he ended up running away. But we have this like perfectly vivid photo of him with this power tool about to break into our garage. Okay, you want a plan to get this to go away? Yeah. Yes, this exactly. happened to a buddy of mine years ago. Now he's a little crazy, but what he did was he left the garage door open overnight and he and I sat in the back of his garage waiting for this guy to come up and he scared the shit out of him and that guy never came back. So if you don't want this guy coming back, give me a call. Not recommended. Six pack of beers and that's the best alarm system right. you can get. Yeah. Jeez, Louise. Hey, he'll go away once and for all. But you're gonna ask what's the power tool for? Yeah, I gotta assume nothing good. I don't think he was trying Drilling to help. I don't think he something. was trying to help me with any of my yard yeah, destruction. Yeah, yeah. So. That's true. That's true. Jeez Louise. Okay. So Unreal. Josh already named him, but Today on the show, the soothing tones you hear, that is not Josh or I, is Ed Porter joining us. And Ed's a friend of the show. He's been on before, but we're excited to have him back. And last time we had him on, he was working over at Smart Harbor. But today he is the founder of Blue Chip CRO, where he works as a fractional CRO for businesses from zero to $20 million in revenue that are entering growth mode or restructuring their businesses in some way and leveraging his sales and marketing leadership experience across a variety of companies. Ed works with business owners to help reshape their sales teams and strategies and put in place scalable, repeatable processes. We're really excited to have Ed back on the show to talk about Blue Chip CRO, what the plans for the future are, and more. Welcome back to Conquering Columbus, Ed. Yeah, thank you. Been a listener of the show for years since before I was on and still today. So thank you guys for getting me on on this Sunday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on a Sunday. So like we mentioned, the last time we spoke with you, you were working over at Smart Harbor. Can you just give us a quick rundown on everything from then until now. Yeah. So that was right at the start of when I was starting something new. So Smart Harbor sold. It was a good acquisition. They'd kind of been going back and forth for a little bit, thinking about what they wanted to do. And it was a pretty quick turnaround on an acquisition. So at that point, I was just like, I don't know, I'll figure out what the next step is. And from there, it was a couple people just said, hey, I could use some help with an assortment of things. And then two months turned into six months and six months turned into a year. And now three years later, still trying to figure out the next thing. But in the short term, I've started to realize a pretty big opportunity in the market as companies really of all sizes are starting to do a couple things, as you said in the intro. Scale is one thing. Growth is one thing. But a lot of that is like restructuring. So what gets you to one million doesn't get you to five. What gets you to five doesn't get you to 10 and 10 to 20. And the more companies realize that, the more help they need. So I've started to make a business out of it and I'm earning more than than I ever have working for anybody else. So I'll take it on the short term. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how this blossomed into something. I didn't really have any intentions of doing it alone or being a solopreneur, but here I am three years later and we're doing it. So it sounds like it started as a couple of people that know you reaching out saying, hey, what's going on? And I need help with this. Is that fair? Yeah, it really started exactly like that. And not even as precise as I need help with this. Of It's almost like this is happening. What do you suggest? And as conversations started, then it was like, here's what I think we can do and let's work together. So it wasn't so much they even knew the need. It was just, here's what's going on, or here's a problem, or here's an opportunity I want to go seize. And we start talking. I don't call myself a consultant because I want to be there for the execution. I want to be the hired hand that actually puts a plan together and then go 
runs it. So I like to put my money where my mouth is in those conversations. I love having conversations like that of just spitballing, brainstorming. And then if it turns into something great, if it doesn't, no problem. But that's kind of where it started. And it just started with conversations and materialized into some unique things. And yeah. And even today, it's still been people who hear me or have seen me or know me have come to me. So it's been very fortuitous. And the CRO role itself is a little bit of a new concept for most organizations in this whole idea of sales and marketing being separated for years and oftentimes almost being at conflict with each other. And so your role steps in and puts both those two arenas underneath one hat. Talk a little bit about how you've done that inside of different companies and maybe what you've been working on since you started Blue Chip. Yeah. So I think there's a couple things that go on. You mentioned one of sales and marketing. And I think if we go back 10 years, we started hearing about the alignment of sales and marketing. What does that mean? And then you start getting in account-based sales, account-based marketing, account-based whatever started to come up. So what I started to think about that was, that's great. We want to partner the two. The missing component that I found almost every time I go into a client engagement is the siloing of customer success. So when I go into a client, it winds up being, who's your target audience? How are you selling to them? Who's your buyer? And do you have that really locked and loaded? And then I say, okay, let's look at customers that you have. Why have they bought from you? Why have they purchased again from you? Why do they continue? And then there's this disjointment of what marketing's trying to attack versus the customers that they're serving. And there's a lot of different problems that are being surfaced as a result. Either sales is selling something that isn't quite available, so customer success has to deal with it. And then marketing doesn't really know what customer success is serving and how they're serving and how a customer is getting adopted. So it winds up being a spawn of aligning sales and marketing to really aligning customer success and marketing. So as I've gone into these engagements, it's really just been through the act of questioning is understanding what's really the opportunity, what are you trying to solve for, who your customer is, how are you showing that you're solving them, and taking that over to marketing to say, are you building collateral and messaging and content that's talking about what you're doing on the customer success side, and then is sales using that? And that's usually where that alignment starts to bridge, is sales will usually say, marketing produces crap content, that's why we're having to go at it alone. This is why we're having to prospect and recreate our own message and recreate our own scripts and have to go build our own content to go send out because marketing's creating stuff that's too fluffy or just not relevant. So then that messaging has to be built by customer success. So we start getting those three teams together and then we got a good foundation. So that's where it's really come from is just going down this questioning path to understand who your buyer is, what problems are you solving? Do you have proof that you're solving that through current customers? And then mm -hmm. making sure marketing's writing about that and distributing that and making sure sales is in agreement that, yep, that makes sense, and then go. Sounds simple, but as you grow, and you guys may even know this from your respective companies, is mm -hmm. you start to get these silos and people start doing their own thing. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. The thing that always stands out to me is everyone's got these key metrics, right? And these metrics seem like they should all kind of flow the same direction and make sense, right? MQLs, closed deals, SQLs, opportunities, SQLs, right? SQLs, all that. SQLs, all that stuff, right? All the L's. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the problem is that you get so enraptured in driving that number higher that you don't always check to see, like, are the stuff we're bringing in quality? Is sales using it? And are they becoming customers? And when they become customers, are they happy, right? Because, yeah, I could have a million 
MQLs. But if none of them close, or when they do close, they're always terrible customers, that doesn't matter, right? And in particular, like the thing that I see the most is there's this whole game that everybody tries to play with SEO and MQLs. And you try and fit where you best, like there's kind of, you can optimize for quality or you can optimize for quantity. And it's hard to make that decision as a business where you should go. Yeah. So I'm going to pick on marketing a little bit, but I'm also going to tell you what they're doing well. So Mm -hmm. marketing has, in my opinion, two inherent goals. If you look at it like a Venn diagram, there's a little bit of an overlap between these goals, but they're two inherent. One is brand awareness. The other is lead generation. So then there's this spot in the middle where they overlap. And there's a merit to when you're marketing the brand and marketing what you do and who you are and how you help, that can absolutely turn into a lead. But ultimately, they're two very different goals. And this is where MQLs get real muddy because in the spirit of trying to drive brand awareness, you're trying to go to trade shows, right? And tell people who the heck you are. And then you get these leads and you put them in a database. And then at some point you score them and things happen. Well, the idea of a trade show is actually brand awareness. Yes, it may trickle in some leads, but that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to get your name out there, either to people who don't know who you are or people that know who you are to try and reinforce your presence in the industry. That's not a direct goal to get leads. It's very much indirect when you go to these trade shows. So this is what happens with this disjointed MQL, SQL, even into SAL process. And for those that don't MQL is marketing qualified lead, SQL is sales qualified lead, SAL is sales accepted lead. So when you build this milestone of trying to understand what's an MQL, often it's based on one of a couple things. Marketing automation using a scoring mechanism that does a lead score. Once a lead score hits a certain point, it becomes MQL'd. Another one is some kind of origination on a lead source or some kind of attribution. Usually it's those two that determine the MQL. The problem with that is those can happen through non-buying signals. So then it's sales job to then figure out, is the customer in buy mode? Where are they at in buy mode? And then understand the validity of that. If I'm a business analyst at a company and I download marketing content, doing some research, why does that MQL? How do I know that I'm a business analyst? Am I part of the buying committee? Am I the decision maker and influencer? We don't know. Sales has to go find that out. So it winds up being this competition of, like you said, Mike, is these KPIs. So marketing Mm -hmm. is like, well, I got you the MQL, you know, I'm going to... You didn't convert it. Yeah. So it's your problem. And sales is going to say, well, you gave me a crappy MQL. And we start looking at those things. And I don't know that marketing automation tools are sophisticated enough to really score based on a multiple set of criteria. I think it takes a lot of work, but if you can get to a point of looking at the content that was downloaded or some kind of intent, what they did. Now, if they're contact me, then great. I think there's an opportunity to throw a quick form on the contact, not just contact info, but what drove you to contact? Have you been evaluating other things? Get a couple other questions and you can score those pretty high on buy mode and things like that. That's going to help the sales rep or the SDR, depending on how you have them routed. It's going to help them give a little bit of merit to that. So I'm talking a little bit off tangent, but I'll bring it back to the actual answer or question that you asked, which is really this disassociation of whose responsibility is Mm -hmm. X to a certain Y stage. And when you get that granular, it makes it really tough. That's what creates the finger pointing, the silos. Marketing should ultimately want to see sales qualified leads, but more so conversion to customers. Mm -hmm. They should be the ones wanting to help enable instead of be 
against sales. Like I'm going to funnel you leads and you're not converting. Well, then marketing should say, can I help? Can I sit in some of these meetings or listen to some of these gong calls or try and see what's going on? And maybe there's an opportunity for messaging. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to get better on the marketing message. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to help work with sales to build a better process. I don't see that happening very often. And that's kind of that step. And the, the same thing goes from sales to customer success. As soon as a customer signs a contract or signs a deal, how do you onboard that customer? Mm -hmm. Sales should have some kind of presence there. Maybe not active on every single one, but there's an onboarding that should happen and understand what did that sales process look like? What triggers the customers register for to buy? Can we deliver those? What are the goals that they want to have? How do we start building this onboarding plan? And then that partnership starts to help. And then once that customer comes onboarded and they start working with you for a year or so, what are they seeing? Are we seeing adoption? Are we seeing the business improved? Do we know that content and data? Then let's get that over to marketing. So that's the long-winded way to say those metrics are okay, but mm -hmm. they're not the end-all be-all, which they're often treated as. Right. And they can drive conflict. Yeah, absolutely. Because it drives that I'm responsible or maybe I'm comped for MQLs. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the sales team obviously is only comped for closing yep. deals. So you're only going to care about what you're comped for. So there's a little bit of that disjointment that no yep. wonder why it happens. That's why I think that CRO role is so powerful. I mean, it really, it's still selling all the way from the very far left on marketing to the very far right on sales, just because your medium for interacting with them changes from static content and maybe like digital pieces to an interactive dialogue where you're actually talking. It should be the exact same thing, right? The fact that those two are siloed, I think it often, like you said, it incentivizes the push around a KPI and then, then my responsibility and buck stops at that KPI and then it's left to the other person to hold the bag. And so sometimes there's a lot of alignment in the companies and it works really well, but very often you have people that are pushing things because they want to take a little bit too far. But for you, what I think is interesting is you're not necessarily talking about enabling the customer success team. You're talking about farming them to some extent for information so you can better segment and target and position yourself to your ideal customer profile and in having that infiltrate across the entire company. And you're seeing that happen time and time again in these different teams you're working with. That's exactly it. That's a starting point. That's not the permanent, but that's the starting point is to understand who your customer is, why do they buy from you, and why do they keep buying from you? Without those two things, how the heck can you produce any kind of relevant marketing messaging or even sales to be able to have a conversation about, yeah, we're helping CFOs do this. And how is that not bullshit if you don't really have that proof in the pudding? So mm -hmm. that's usually the starting point is let's not think about the market you want to go attack. Let's table that for a second, but let's look at who you're serving today and let's figure, can we go find customers like that? That's low hanging fruit. And that's almost like revenue generation 101. Go find the customers that you can get as quickly as possible that are the most consistent with who you're serving today because you got good stories to tell. Often it's you're trying to go in that Tam Sam Som model. You're trying to go way high mm -hmm. and try to go for your total addressable market to say, well, our product can go everywhere. We can be sold to any human being on the planet. Well, that's wonderful, but where are you going to start? Unless you have an unlimited amount of people calling and a limited marketing budget to go distribute your brand on TV commercials and radio ads, <laughs> you're just not going to do it. You got to start somewhere. Where do you start? So I want to Go back to what you mentioned earlier, Josh, was the CRO. I'm very passionate about this and I'm stubborn to an extent on what a CRO does and how often they're mislabeled. I believe that in order to have a CRO title, you have to own the full buyer life cycle, everything. If you don't own the full buyer life cycle, you're not in charge of revenue. That means marketing, sales, and customer success or customer service or customer experience, whatever you call it. If you don't own all of that, 
You're just not a CRO. And that's okay because I don't believe a CRO should be in a company until they're pushing 20 million in revenue. And we can talk about that on another question. But the whole idea of a CRO is one throat to choke. And in the beginning, it's a CEO as the founder or one of the founders, president, whatever title you want to call it. It's somebody that really needs to own all of that. Once you get to these certain milestones, you're going to hire people underneath you that are very tactically driven. I see companies hiring VPs way too early and you really need the individual contribution to get the cycle moving. It's really expensive to hire a director or a VP who's not contributing to quota or a VP of marketing that doesn't know how to like go into Google Analytics and set up and read everything or to go in and understand the paid media ads or to go in and write the copy and content. Those are all individual contributor work. It's really tough to find an executive level that knows what they're doing that doesn't just write copy. So because of that, you need to build that engine. You need to build that village and then to build into the city and then into the state and so on. It's very tough when you overhire a high level person to try and do tactical level work. So I do have a passion that the CRO needs to own everything, sales, marketing and customer success. I'm a little bit less stubborn on operations. You have sales ops, you have customer success ops, marketing ops, rev ops. You know, sometimes that rolls up, sometimes it doesn't. There's even some debate in the market about product management teams reporting up to a CRO. I don't know. I haven't studied that enough to know. But if you think about what does a product management team do is they're trying to build products that are solving problems to a customer. So that's very customer focused. So why wouldn't you have that roll up? But again, that's a topic for another day. So back on the CRO topic is I think they need to own that full buyer life cycle. And if they don't, then they're mistitled point blank. So sales and marketing is one, but if you don't own what happens after that customer, after they buy from you, and you don't own that experience, then you can't be effective as a marketing leader or chief, I should say. The theory sounds good and accurate and logical. Thank you. That's it. But the action on that theory is where I think things can get tough, right? Because you'll yeah. have organizations that think they understand their ideal customer profile and they think they have the segmentation down right. Maybe they miscategorize things or they ask the wrong questions and got the wrong answers as a result. So how do you see people actually able to turn this stuff around and start to realize what's working and what's not? At a very high level, it starts with change. Change is extremely difficult. You have to be willing to understand you have a problem and then take the necessary steps to change it. That process takes a lot for individuals. So when you ask the question of how do people go about it, it's often certain smaller things. I can tell you every client that I've ever had in the past three years, and this is a small sample size, so I'm not saying it's everybody, but everyone that I've had will say, I need to change sales. So sales becomes the problem point. When we go in, it's never sales. It's either marketing or customer success. It's mm -hmm. one of the two. And that's where we start. So to that point of it really goes down the path of figuring out where you're at today, where do you want to get to tomorrow? And tomorrow can be a quarter from now. It could be a year from now. It doesn't have to be like what your vision statement is. What are you trying to impact today? And how do we start building the plans from there? And what helps with change is making it bite-sized. This is why diets, right? Diets are the freaking rage. Yeah, there's so there's millions of them out there because everyone's trying to go into one little thing to change. Mm -hmm. It's tough to make a whole lifestyle change, but losing right. weight is easy. Calories in, calories out. Yeah, You can slice and dice any way you want, but that's ultimately all it is. But there's ways to say low carb. There's ways to say get out soda, don't drink soda. So like all of these things are little tips, but that's supposed to help you along your journey because it's tough to wake up one day and say, I'm going to only eat 1500 calories and I'm going to burn 2000. Mm -hmm. It's really tough. So how do you build up to that? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with trying to get people to change is understanding what the problem is. Is it a big enough problem that they actually want to pay money to solve it? 
And then what have they done in the past to solve it? It's behavioral-based interviewing. If we can get that same process going with clients, it's no different than with customers. You're trying to do the same thing. So whether you're looking at customers that you currently have, that even ask the simple question, Mike, why did you buy from us? Why did you renew? What were some of the things you saw that were successful in your company in using our product or service? Get some of that granular data, aggregate it. Now it becomes something very relevant in that process. So that tends to be my playbook going into it is let's look at this. You've got ICPs. Let's figure out those personas. Let's figure out the pain points, align Mm -hmm. it to what the Mm -hmm. value proposition is. Let's start conceptual. And then let's say, do you have this validated? with any customers? How many customers or how much revenue is attributed to this? And is it an I think or is it an I know? And how do you go about that? And there could be two very different. It's not that you discount what the aspiration is. We're just gonna table that for a second and let's go figure out your current customer mix and then go find customers like that. Mm -hmm. That becomes pretty easy when creating some marketing messaging. We start to know pain points that are being struggled with and then we're able to solve or enable or improve some of those. Those are great talking points to test in marketing to say, if I toss some content out there, if I go send our CEO out to a podcast to talk about these things, how many people are going to resonate with that? So that becomes a messaging that gets talked about. So it's all this whole A-B testing, but it starts with the problem recognition of understanding you have a problem and then trying to figure out steps to solve it Mm because it's not going to be overnight. And usually the ones that think it's overnight are the ones who aren't ready to embrace like the change. People want to change, but it's really tough to change. Yeah. And I think that there's something you mentioned earlier that matters a lot, which is that top down mindset of looking at like, okay, well, if the thing I solve is this, then my TAM is 10 times bigger than if the thing I solve is this. So I'm going to keep trying to go after that one thing because my evaluation will be better if I can get it right. But a lot of companies stumble there because they can't accept that, hey, you know what? The original thing that we thought we do, turns out our customers bought us because we do this other thing, which is fine. And we need to figure out how to sell that. But, you know, we don't necessarily solve or maybe this problem that we originally thought we were solving wasn't as big as we thought it was. And that's a really tough decision to make. And it reminds me of what Matt Scantlin told us on the podcast a while back. He said, you know, early on, companies are looking to find who values them and do they value them enough? And he said there's like a turning point where, you know, the value you provide is 10x what your product costs and that it just becomes a no brainer for people. And that, you know, for some people, you're going to get a lot of like people looking around for, you know, your product and they're going to be like, "Eh, I mean, yeah, I guess. And you don't want to be selling to the I guesses. You want to be selling to the people who say, holy cow, look at this. This is amazing. Yeah. So how do you get people there? Just like internally as a business owner, you need to recognize change and when change happens and how to go through change. Your prospects and potential customers are in that same boat. There's some old data out there. I don't know if it's even validated, but I try to look at it in terms of a range. But it says that 3% of your buyers are only in buy mode at that time. So as you're prospecting and handling leads, regardless of how qualified, there's a 3% chance that that person you're talking to is ready to buy now but we're turning them into a sales process. We're turning them into a, we're going to take you through our stages and we're going to try and get you in and get you out. So it's a disjointment of where they're at in the buying process to where the company is at the selling process. And that mismatch causes tension and it causes tension between the sales rep who's trying to close their quarter. And it causes tension to the buyer who may be faced with tons of other decisions that they have to make other than just this product. It's tough. And to get to that point is how do you turn that buyer into somebody who's not an I guess and into a yes? I believe the answer is always in this behavioral based interviewing approach. I'm a huge subscriber to it on hiring candidates as well as understanding prospects. And it's figuring out the problem, like you said. But the bigger issue is actually not how big the problem is. 
The bigger issue is, is it a big enough problem that they're actively looking to solve it? Again, I'm going to bring up weight loss again. For those that don't know me, you can see my picture. I'm an overweight guy. I know that I'm overweight. Yes, it is a problem. Is it a big problem right now? Maybe not. I'm in my early 40s, so not quite yet, but I know it's going to get there. So if anybody comes to me that's a nutritionist or a trainer, yes, it's a problem, but I'm not in solve mode right now. I'm not ready to solve, so I'm not going to buy anything that these people are offering. But it is still a problem. So the same thing is with the buyer is... Is the problem big enough where you're actively trying to solve it? Another great example is DEI. This is a huge initiative that I think needs a lot of focus and a lot of effort to solve. But for some, it's very much just a compliance thing. Some just want to check a couple boxes. So to them, maybe it's a problem, but their solve is not taking the extra step to create a better culture, to create a better company. It's to check some boxes. So is that a big issue that people want to solve? Are they willing to pay a ton of money to have an attorney come in or a company come in to really educate them on what this means? Probably not because they're not in active solve mode as much as what maybe that seller is trying to push. So that becomes the bigger issue is how actively are they in buy mode? What have they done previously? Have they done actions that have failed? Those are great indicators for a marketing or sales team to say, hey, maybe you are on the hunt to try and find solutions. You're trying and failing or trying and having some success. Great. There's a propensity that you're going to get that buyer engaged a lot sooner. They're in buy mode effectively. Is this just a SaaS tech company problem or do you see this problem in all sorts of different companies? What problem specifically? Just identifying who your ideal customer profile is and aligning all the different departments across your company to understand and serve and best curate that customer yeah, profile. I, to be honest, I don't know that I know enough SaaS and non-SaaS companies to be able to kind of make a proclamation like that. But I would say that in the past three years, I think a significant minority of my clients have been SaaS companies. Most of my clients have been really services types of companies that are trying to work on a subscription-based model, but it's deploying a service. So at least for me, I'm seeing a lot more benefit in non-SaaS companies that need help, or maybe you're more serious about getting help because they've been at it a little bit longer and they've got different reasons other than either valuation, raising money, validating what they've already raised, that those pressures are astronomical. When you're post any kind of raise, that whole attitude changes. And it has to because you're in debt to other people and not yourselves. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I can say one way or another, but I can tell you that kind of counseling process of asking business owners, and especially if you have multiple business owners, that's where it gets really fun because they both have different opinions. And it's very rare that it's consistent. So when you start looking at the ICPs and start looking at what value do you provide to your customers, multiple business owners, it's different. And that's really tough. So it's a counseling process. Mm -hmm. And where does the name Blue Chip come from? So you guys poker players at all? Mm -hmm. So that's where it came from. So back in the old Western days, Blue Chip was the highest value chip at the poker table. Now it started to transcend into athletes. You guys are both athletes, so blue chip athletes. Kind of the same thing. It's the high value. So that's where the blue chip came from. I used to be a poker player, still play every once in a while. And I forgot. You told me you have like a weekend game every once in a while, right? Used we can to. Cut so that it was in a. About that. No, that's fine. We uh, used to be in a poker league. So it was a once a week thing and really cool process. I mean, very fun, casual, but you know, everything's points on standings. And then you have you know, an end of the year tournament. And based on your points, you get to go so far into rounds and or chip added. So it's a really cool program. But I started playing when I was 16, mm -hmm. how to play Texas Hold'em. So that was a long ass time ago. Yeah. But played for a little bit back when online gambling was a thing and you didn't get caught. I mean, it's still a thing, but yeah. So made some good money there. 
had some really bad hits, really bad beats. So, <laughs> but that's where blue chip came from. And that's the logo that I have is a poker chip. And yeah. then on the inside, it's got like the bar charts that are scaling because that's the whole resonation of why I feel like I'm a marquee player on somebody's team. I can help them get to that growth level. Did you do all the EV calcs and everything like that? No, not to that extent. So there is a book called Poker System, I think, that was written a long, long time ago. Super System, right? Super System. Super there system. you go. Doyle Brunson. Doyle Brunson, yeah. So the thing with that, I mean, great system. All you're really building is a forecasted model, mm -hmm. right? So if that's the case, then you become predictable. I never subscribed to it. Not to say that it's wrong. It's not. It's good stuff. But I never subscribed to it because I didn't want to be predictable. If I employed the super system and I was playing against people at the table that knew that, they would pick up on it. So I just gave them an advantage inherently. Mm -hmm. So I often make the dumb move of going all in on deuces down. So <laughs> I don't play with the super system. Makes sense. Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is uh, really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. So have you thought about, you know, right now you're doing the solopreneur thing, right? You're kind of being a fractional CRO. And actually, this brings me to a different question. I have two questions, but I'll start with my first one. Has it been challenging to get people to understand what a fractional CRO is? Or because usually, right, like sales consulting, people get that, right? Revenue mm -hmm. consulting, people get that. But like a fractional CRO, I think fractional CFO is very common, right? Mm -hmm. People know a lot about having a fractional CFO, but I think it's much rarer to have a fractional CRO. So has it been tough to educate people on what you're doing? The tough part's been, well, A, the term fractional because there's still plenty of people that don't know what that is. And I think the education side relates more towards what is it you're going to do for me? Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, sales consultant, in some cases, that's pretty easy to say, okay, you're going to evaluate some things and maybe recommend some things and then go away. What has been part of conversations that I have early with clients is I'm not a consultant, but I will deliver consulting type of services, but I only want to do that if I'm part of the execution. I don't want to give you a plan and then go away. I don't believe that is the best interest for you as a client. If I'm going to recommend a plan, let me be there along the way. Let me be there to debate with your team on why we should try this as opposed to just letting your team say no. So I also think there's a lot of value and I can produce a plan all day long. A plan means nothing without execution. So how does that get executed? Does it get executed where they follow steps one, two, five, nine, and 10, and the rest are not? In that case, then it doesn't really work. So how I start to educate them is, A, are you familiar with the CRO? What that is? Okay, here's my belief and what it does. And my value is that you don't need that position full-time, 40 hours a week until you're at a certain revenue that can support it when you start looking at your org structure. If you've got a VP of sales that has five or six sales reps, Sorry, you just don't need a CRO at that point. If you have a VP of sales that has managers beneath them that have reps beneath them, now you're starting to prime yourself where you need that executive leader. That's where I can help in. I can be that gap between where you are today and where you want to go and make sure that that realized investment pays off 
when you are ready to bring on that full-time C-level mm-hmm. position. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And and so the second question was, based on earlier when we talked, it sounded like this, this wasn't always what you planned on doing. Yeah, right. Right? So what's the long-term plan? Have you thought about that? Have you th- Do you think that Blue Chip CRO is something you'll continue to grow and work with, or do you see yourself doing some other stuff? I think there's a lot of avenues. And I was just having a discussion with a friend of mine a week ago, um, kind of thinking about what's the next step. I can see myself growing this to building a company that has tactical people through my employer contracting abilities to say, what are your problems? Where are you at as a client? And then I've got some marketing contractors that I can use that are copy people, graphics people, even paid media people, where I can start being the tactical uh, arm to go execute on a plan where I can have a fractional VP of sales that can go in and lead directly lead the sales team until they've, they're ready to get somebody going full time or until they're big enough. Somebody that understands customer success to be able to figure out how do you segment customer success and bring people in that are the onboarding experts and then bring people on that are the you know renewal experts and bring people on that are the business review experts of understanding how to really run a customer success program. So I think there's some merit in that where I could very easily get to that point. Um, The other possibility is keeping this as a, doing this as my own thing and having other income streams. So another avenue I've taken is over the past several years has been an investor. So I've invested in five companies, um, had one that had a payout um, where the, the, the company actually sold. Um, another one where I got bought out because we brought in another round. And I've got others, three, three active ones right now and um, about to pull the trigger on a fourth. So that's an area where if I can get some passive income through these other opportunities, now I can do something that I you know, enjoy and I don't feel like I have to do 40 hours a week. But if it provides me a, a lifestyle that I'm good with, so I'm good with kind of just being the one person show on blue chip CRO, take the investment route as another another option. And then, you know, there there may be some other options too. I'm seriously thinking about real estate in multiple different ways. I think we're at the this point, bubble point, but I think there's gonna be real opportunistic here in the next couple of years. So Maybe I need to get in there, corporate or or residential. So who knows? I just know that I'm spending a lot of money on Airbnbs and I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> how do I be on the other side of that? Yeah. No, that makes total sense to me. And uh, and I think it's a good place to head towards our last question of the show. Josh, unless you got anything else. All right. So first one, got any advice for our listeners out there? And again, you've been on the show before, but young professionals, entrepreneurs, people who want to know what's going on in Columbus. Yeah, the biggest is I'm a proponent of this um, for individuals is own your own development. Don't wait for somebody else to give you the training or give you the insight. There's so many resources out there today, be it podcasts like this, content, events. Events are starting to come back, especially here in Columbus. So get out there, meet people and go on a journey to learn. Mm -hmm. Take it upon yourself. It absolutely pays dividends. So I think that's the biggest advice. And, you know, if I could give myself advice 20 years ago, it would be get a lot more active in that. And uh, I have been, and I'm seeing benefits, but I wish I would have started earlier. So that's a big one. Makes sense. And uh, our last question of the show, you know it already. So uh, live uncomfortably, theme of our show. What do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, so I remember the first time thinking about this and it has a lot to do with honesty. And 
Um, I still believe that today. And I would argue that honesty is probably the most uncomfortable mm -hmm. thing. There, there's obviously blatant lies, right. but then the, it's the white lies that are really tough. And it's, how do you, I think I mentioned this actually on the last one, it's how do you tell your friends, like, I don't want to go out tonight. I just want to stay home and be lazy. Often you may be coming up with another excuse at times. Oh, I'm not feeling so hot or the wife's sick. Ironically, my wife is actually right, sick right now. So you kind of give those excuses mm -hmm. and like, that's okay. Or, hey, there's a pitch event going on and I'm, oh, I don't know if I know anybody. So uh, I can't, I got a conflict. So it's little things like that. But when you talk about living uncomfortably, I think there's the, a little bit of the honesty and that honesty kind of forces you to maybe be somebody that you are, that you're just not afraid to be mm -hmm. or that you are afraid to be. But being honest and authentic and you know, try to avoid those little white lies, even though we all do it. Oh, I'm running 20 minutes late. There was traffic. Bullshit. There was no traffic. You overslept. So, right. you know, things like that, those little things really go a long way when you start thinking about values and what's important to you and how do you run your life and how do you become a better person? So I'm still going to stick to that. But I think how I've started to use that more recently, at least over the past three years that I've been doing this is I have a duty to my clients, to be honest, whether it's they're going to like it or not. That's hard. And at times I want to be the positive person and I want to be the one to say, yeah, you can get there doing that, but I don't believe it. And I'm starting to inject that a lot more in a positive tone to say, we can go that route. I believe this is what you're going to face. And as long as you can play the game of chess and figure out how you get out of that, great. I think that's a starting point. I think it's a losing strategy. So I try to play a little mm -hmm. bit of Switzerland neutral land in cases like that, but I'm really struggling, but also trying to get better at working with clients to be brutally honest like that and not skirt around things. Yeah. And I really like that answer because I think there's another layer underneath it all, which is being honest with yourself, which is sometimes one of the most difficult things you can do. Ed, again, as usual, great talking to you. It's been great having you on the show. Appreciate yeah. you coming back. Thanks, guys. Good seeing you. Yeah. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that episode, you want to hear more just like it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening on. And if you did enjoy it, please leave a review. We haven't gotten many of those recently, and they do help us out. So uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.